All right, get your songbook. That's all I can. Good deal. All right, well, let's get our songbook. And let's stand together. Let's start to 341. 341. Let me make sure I know what. That's victory in Jesus. Let's, let's stand this thing together. <clears throat> all right.
and we need to pray for them. We got folks that are sick. We got folks that are AWOL. I don't know where everybody's at this morning, but I got folks coming in. Praise God! It's good to see folks getting here, even if they're getting here late. It's good, to, better late than never. Amen. But uh, I want y'all to please lift up in prayer, uh, Miss Nell. Her and uh, Miss Shirley are out. Miss Nell, her leg. She had hip surgery, and they did an epidural on her, and her her nerves and her leg her leg have not regenerated like they should, and so she's just having they're having a they're having a real difficult time uh, trying to get her up and going again. And so please pray for them because I know they want to be here this morning. Um, I know that uh, Bonnie would mention Miss Diane if she was in here. Uh, she's still dealing. Is she doing better? Well, praise God for that. Yeah. Uh, praise God. Prayer works. Amen. And her her uh, her niece as well lift her up in prayer. Miss um, Charlotte. Yep. She's still not able to be with us because of her foot. Yeah. And we want her back too. And uh, I do want to mention, Mom, in case you didn't see it, my aunt passed away just the other day. And and please pray for our family. Pray. For, I mean, we're okay. We we knew she was going to pass, and we're glad she's with Jesus. But she's got immediate family that are really having a hard time. So please, please lift them up in prayer and and pray for us as we get ready to go down there and have a memorial service here. I don't know exactly when, but it'll be in the next couple of weeks. But uh, pray for that. Um, Pray for Phyllis. Pray who else we got? Who else we got? Miss Eva? Um, anybody else? All right. Well, I'm sorry I blowed that horn, sister. I didn't know that. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but uh, we lift both of y'all up in prayer for sure. Anybody else? All right. I'm cold them coming in the door. I give them a second to get his cots coming in. Praise the Lord. Glad he's doing better. Good enough, good enough to be here. It will give them a second to get in there before we go to the Lord in prayer. But I just want to praise God. I, I serve a, I, I'm going to say to you this morning that I serve a prayer answering God. God is a God who hears prayer, and God is a God who answers prayer. And and ask me how I know. I've seen him answer prayers just in the last week. I I came in here last weekend talking about how, how uh, you know, I had I had a bunch of things in my life that were just all messed up, and it wasn't me; it was my kids. And I had several things going on, and, and just didn't know how in the world they were ever going to work out. And I checked a bunch of people on praying for it, and uh, God just flipped that thing completely, 180, in in just a matter of two days' time. Everything was fixed. Uh, everything, everything ain't fixed, and some things gonna take time. But immediate situation, he flipped that thing and turned it around. God, God will answer prayers. God wants us to pray. So well, that's what we need to do this morning. Anybody else in here got something they need? Say, boy, we should pray for that. Anybody? Speak now. Hey, listen. Yes, sir. We're doing that. We're gonna keep praying for you. I'm just, I'm just amazed that God's given you the strength He's given you, and we just promise God that you get well and you start feeling, you start feeling better. You, and pray for Him. He's on. He's, he's gonna be on. Uh, he's, he's, well, it's not transplant, but they're looking for 
somebody that can donate a piece of the liver because his, your liver will regenerate itself. So that's, that's amazing. I can live and grow in his tail. But anyway, God God's an amazing God, and he created amazing things. But pray for Scott that he can get, he can get that transplant in there so he can get his, his body to feeling right. Anything else before we go to the Lord in prayer? Anybody, anything? Don't hold back. If you've got a request, let me know. All right, well, let's go to the throne of grace. Let's ask God to meet with us. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You be seated. Number 451 in your songbook. 451, the old account was settled. Settled long ago, praise God. Mine was settled in 1975, November the 1st. 1975, right at bedtime. That was the night I got saved. Trusted Christ as my Savior. I praise God. I never have got over it either. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 47 years, I think, 47.
On a Saturday night, I got under conviction for my sin, and I came into the bedroom and I asked my mom, sitting right back there, I said, if I died tonight, would I go to heaven or hell? And she looked at me and she said, well, do you know you're a sinner? And I had, I knew I had done wrong. There's no doubt in my mind. I was seven years old, but seven-year-old boys get in a lot of trouble. How old that little fellow is back here, but he knows I'm telling the truth. <laughs> He's seven. How old are you? You're ten? Well, you know seven-year-old boys get in trouble, can't they? Right. And I got myself in trouble. And I had done wrong, and I knew I had done wrong. And, uh, you know, that night, God smote my heart. He showed me that I was lost, that I needed to be saved. And I, and I said, Mom, I know I'm a sinner. And she said, well, you'd go to hell then. And I'm thankful Mama told the truth. I'm glad Mama didn't sugarcoat it and try to make me feel better about myself. Mama told the truth. And, and I said, well, Mama, I want to be saved. And that night, I came to Jesus humbly on my knees and I asked him to be my Savior. And he saved me that night, and I'm still saved. And I ain't never lost it. Can't lose it because I didn't save myself. He saved me, and he gave me something last trip. Amen. She used to sing this song to me as I was getting ready to go to bed at night. I said, I said, man, the song used to give me the creeps, but I think what gave me the creeps about it because I was not saved at the time. So, anyway, it's called something about that name. If you know it, I'm going to sing it once. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to go back to it again. If you're welcome to sing it with me a second time if you want to.
in Texas when I was a little. Stand at the door. Greeter, back when they used to have greeters. Y'all remember that? Walmart greeters. Welcome to Walmart. They don't do that anymore. So show me your receipt. But anyway, he, he'd stand there. Everybody walking up over, he'd say, thank God for Jesus. Amen. I said, just like it. I loved it, too. I'd stick my hand up and praise God, brother. Amen. Always thrilled me to see him because he, he encouraged me. Amen. Anytime somebody encourages you in the Lord, you ought to thank God for him. Amen. Take your Bible this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to get into this this morning, and we're going to we're going to we're going to discover some things, and maybe maybe you'll learn something this morning. I want you to learn something today, okay? Focus today on learning something from God, because God has something to say to us this morning. Do you know most people don't have? Most people when they read the Bible, they just jump around and they really don't they really don't apply what they're learning to themselves. A lot of times we don't even understand who God's speaking to. You know, God wants us to rightly divide the Bible. So that means we need to understand what we're reading, okay? And so I want to try to break this up. We're only going to cover five verses this morning, and most of it will be in verse 1. So, so we're going to take our time. we got a little time. We're going to eat and we get done, so I know everybody will be comforted after we get done. Amen? So I hope you had breakfast, and let's dig into the Bible. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll read it, and we're going to pray, and then we'll get into the message. Paul says there in chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and let's ask him to meet with us this morning. Father, I love you, and I thank you for your, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God that lives within me, and I pray this morning that you would, Lord, give me power and unction to preach. Lord, I want to help somebody today. I want to bless somebody today. Lord, I want to point somebody in the direction of eternal life today. Father, I want to, Lord, help somebody who's backsliding today. Lord, I want to, Lord, uh, repair something. Lord, I can't do it, but you can do it by using me this morning. Repair something in someone's life that's broken. Father, restore something that's, that's, that's gotten uh, divided and separated. Father, I know that you're able to do all things. Touch somebody this morning. Heal them spiritually, Lord. Deliver them from whatever they're going through. Lord God, we ask you now, please, you're a merciful, loving God, and we pray, Lord, you, you send your spirit into the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls, and convict us and draw us to yourself. Lord God, we thank you. Please touch me this morning. Use me. I'm yours, Lord. I yield myself to you 100%. I pray, Father, that you'll fill me and pour me out. Fill me and pour me out over and over, Lord, to your people. Lord, please speak to those that are in the house and those that are listening in by way of electronic media, Father. We pray, Lord, that they be blessed. Somebody out there that's near hell, Father, I pray you'd save them today. Lord God, I pray, Father, use me for your glory now, and I'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So let's look in verse 1. Amen. And it is good to be in God's house. Amen. I look forward to this all week long. I look forward to uh, to, to seeing you and to, and to preaching the word of God to you. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. I want you to 
to, to gain a growing knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. I want you to do that so that you're able to help other people because that's what we're here to do. We're here not just for ourselves. We're not islands unto ourselves. We're here to be a blessing to other people. You know, the Bible calls us the body of Christ. That means we're to reach out beyond this building. We're to reach out to people other places that need Jesus because there are people everywhere. Jesus looking lost people to a ripened field of grain. You know, a ripened field of grain is not hard to get to. You just walk out there in it and gather up all you can. He didn't say you're like a you're like a muscadine growing wild up in the top of an oak tree that you gotta climb twenty feet in the air to get to. It's not like that. No, it's like we you know, you drive down the window, roll down the window, you drive by the car, keep your hands full of it. God says everywhere. People everywhere need Jesus. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five, verse one, he said, And I brethren, so he's speaking to the church there in Corinth. He said, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, we've already talked about the fact there are a lot of divisions in this church, a lot of people that don't see eye to eye. There's a, there's a lot of that going on. They had some we talked about before said, hey, this one baptized me and that one baptized me, and they were focusing on baptism, which wasn't which is not even a part of salvation. You don't get baptized to get saved. You get baptized because you got saved as a public testimony of what's already taken place on the inside. But I want to focus right now on in this in this scripture here. Paul said, when I came, I, I, I didn't come with excellent speech. I didn't come with, with wisdom. I, I didn't come trying to impress anybody. Well, how did he speak? How did Paul come to them, and how did he talk to them? Well, let me just say something here this morning. It seemed like a lot of the time when Paul spoke, he hacked a lot of people off. He made people mad. Uh, you know, he there was one place he went through and listened. And, and he got there, and they went to preaching and, and, and trying to tell people about Jesus. And he made people so mad that they picked up rocks and they threw it at him until he died. And they picked his body up like a dead dog and pitched him outside the city gates on the side of the road. And, his, and, the, and the people with him came around and began to pray. God raised him up. Now listen, if, if you make people so mad when you talk, they want to kill you. Mom said, well, what in the world are you saying that's making people so mad? Well, what could have inflamed them so bad to want to kill him? Well, he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. And these days and times, you tell the truth, people look at you crazy. Because they don't want to hear the truth. Y'all remember that famous line from the movie? You can't handle the truth. You know, a lot of people can't handle the truth. And that's why they get angry. That's why when somebody stands on a street corner with one of these and starts telling people what God says, people come up and try to stop it. People say, get in their face, say, shut up, let me do it right here. Everybody want to hear that? That's why people do that. Because the truth makes people angry. Because they'd rather swallow a lie and go to hell than believe the truth and go to heaven. It's, just, it's insane, but the devil has got this world rocking them in a nursery to sleep so they'll just, slide, just sleep right on into hell. All right, but let's get into this. I'm, I'm going I'm to bog down right there. He spoke the truth. I want us to look back. Take your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 18. We're going to be here a minute, so, so, so just, just buckle in and, and get ready. Acts 18. We're going to be back and forth between this place where we are and Acts 18, so you can hold your finger in both places. We'll go back and forth. But we're going to mostly be in Acts, Acts 8, I'm sorry, Acts 18, not 15. Acts 18. 
I'll give you just a second to find this. So we're going to look there. That, in Acts chapter 18 of Chronicles where Paul got to Corinth, okay, this is the letter he wrote to Corinth, but Acts is the story of how he went to Corinth. All right, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, it says, After these things, and that's after he left the city of, of, uh, of Athens, Greece, where there was tons of idolatry everywhere, and everywhere he turned, he saw idols everywhere. Uh, he left there, and he came down. After these things, Paul departed, departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila. Now, Aquila was from, uh, from Italy, born in Pontus, there in Italy, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, the emperor there, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. He ordered them out of there, and came, and they came to him there in, in Corinth. And because he was of the same class, he abode with them and wrought. They worked together for their, for their occupation. They were tent makers. So they sat and they worked on tents all day long when he wasn't somewhere preaching. And the Bible said, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Saturday and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come to, from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, verse 4, it says he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now, you got to remember, Paul always went to the Jew first. He went to the Jew first. Why did he do that? Because Paul was a Jew. to be the apostle of the Gentiles, which is anybody that's not a Jew, Paul still felt drawn to go to the Jews and try to win them to Jesus. Now, the Jews had already rejected Jesus as a nation, but Paul's still trying to go and win them. He always did that. So he went there first, all right, and then he says that when, his, when Silas and Timothy, his partners in ministry, they came down to Macedonia, from Macedonia, he was pressed in the spirit. He means he felt convicted. He needed to, he needed to get up and preach the message that he came to preach, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Okay? That's important when he says that, that Jesus was Christ. In verse 1 of our text here today, it says that Paul came declaring, it says he came declaring unto you the testimony of God. Okay? So it says he, two things. He testified that Jesus was Christ, and he testified the testimony, he declared the testimony of God. Well, what exactly does that mean? Hey, you know what? Maybe somebody, somebody in here don't know this. Did y'all know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? That's not his last name. Maybe not Jesus Christ. He never brother, you know, so-and-so Christ. That wasn't the way it worked. Christ is his title. Somebody pull it up. Okay. We're good. We got room, amen. <laughs> we room. But Christ, it's his title. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Christ, Christ means he's the Messiah. Okay? He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the promised one. He's the anointed one. Uh, he, he's the one who came to the Jews. Amen? He's the Savior. All right? So when he says Jesus Christ, he says Jesus Savior, Jesus Messiah. So, <clears throat> so he's saying there, he's saying to the, to, the, to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's Listen, that's a big fun for them as well, because you know, the whole nation, their leaders, have already rejected Jesus. They've already said, oh, oh we, we crucified him. We've we gone away with him. He's done. And, and they, they claimed he wasn't the Messiah, but yes, he was. First Timothy 3.16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Well, that's Jesus. 
Amen? Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's none other than Jesus. So again, I point out that Paul is pointing Jews to Jesus being the Messiah. So that's what he did. He first he went to the Messiah into the synagogue where the Jews were meeting, and he's preaching to them, hey, you missed him. He was the Messiah. You crucified the Lord of glory. He was the one you threw him away. So, again, he's preaching that to the Jews. Something you need to understand, again, Christ, he is their promised Messiah. It's been promised all through the Old Testament, all the way through there. They're waiting on him, but they missed him. So, again, they have to see him as their Messiah. They're never going to see him as their Savior. They're never going to trust him to pay their sin debt. Now, let me draw the difference. This is this is a technical message. You need to understand we're trying, we're trying to divide something here. We're trying to divide Jew and Gentile and see the difference, okay? So a Gentile, which is I'm a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, this morning you're a Gentile. Everybody in here, I know Richard's part Jew, but hey, he's saved by the grace of God, so that don't make any difference, okay? But everybody else in here, as far as I know, a Gentile. A Gentile doesn't have to understand that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel in order to be saved. It doesn't. All, he, all a person has to know. I mean, anybody can get saved if they understand that Jesus is God's son. They don't have to understand all the history and everything. All they need to know is that God has a son, and he came into this earth, and, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for their sins to purchase their redemption, to pay their sin debt. That's all a person has to know and believe on that to be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul gives the gospel. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, here it is, that which I also received. I'm going to give you the same thing I got. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It happened exactly the way he prophesied it would happen. He was nailed to an old rugged cross. He died on that cross. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that was what it happened on the cross of Calvary. And he died for our sins. He didn't pay for none of his own. He had none of his own to pay for. He was perfect. He was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And the Bible said in verse 4, and that he was buried. They took him down. They put him in a borrowed tomb. Amen. It was borrowed. You know why? It wasn't most of the very Amen. And he come up out of there. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the very spirit. He died. He was buried. He rose from the grave. Amen. When somebody gets saved, that's how they get saved. And then when they get saved, they come in here and we baptize them. We picture what they did because we picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. They're saying, hey, they're identified. They're identified with Jesus. They believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we baptize people. But the name of Jesus is important. Oh, the name of Jesus is so important. Did you know the name of Jesus is two words put together? G and such. Most people don't know this. G, that comes, that's Hebrew. That, that means Jehovah. And sus, that's Greek, and it means saves. So it means Jehovah saves. Isn't that amazing? Who is it you? His son, his Savior, the Savior, Jesus. 
Jehovah saves. Hallelujah. So when Paul came to the Jews, he said, for there, y'all, Jesus is the Messiah. You missed him. Hey, in Genesis 3.15, way back in the beginning of the Bible, the heavenly father says to the serpent who, who tricked Eve and Adam, and Adam was deceived. He wasn't deceived, but he followed Eve in the sin. He said, he said to them, he said to the serpent, he said, he said, I will put enmity or hatred between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, a woman doesn't have a seed. Seed comes from the man. Okay? But what is he referring to? He's referring to the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. Amen? He's referring to his virgin birth. And he's saying, there'll be enmity or hatred between thee and the woman, because she's going to give birth to the son of God. Listen, and between thy seed and her seed. Her seed referring to Jesus Christ. And it shall bruise thy head. Well, Satan was crushed, and he will be crushed, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's referring to Jesus dying on the cross. I know that's a lot of symbolic uh, words there, but that's, that's exactly what that's described. And he's talking about Jesus all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Because Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. When he came into this world, he came into this world born of a virgin. He, there was, he had no human male bloodline. He's God. He is the Christ. He's the only way of salvation. There's not salvation in any other. Your works won't get you to heaven. There ain't nothing you can do. You can get baptized every creek, every every step out the creek knows you social security number backwards and forwards. That ain't gonna save. You can be good from here on out, but that ain't gonna save. There's only one way to be saved, and that's believing on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Now, it's not to say Paul never preached the Jewish message around Gentiles, but because I'm sure he did, because he preached the Jew and Gentile alike. But the importance was on what Jesus had done rather than on him being Israel's Messiah. Because, again, they already rejected him. So now it's simply a message of what Jesus has done. Now, let me just say this. Just knowing that Jesus is the Messiah won't save anybody. You can know it all day long. Head knowledge won't save anybody. Listen, I know that George Washington lived a long time ago. How many of y'all in here believe that there was a George Washington? Okay. All right. But, okay. How many of y'all are trusting George Washington? We can't trust in George Washington. George Washington's dead. Listen, Jesus died, but he's alive. And he died for my sins. George Washington didn't die for my sins. Listen, I'm, a lot of people know about him. Oh, yeah, I think there was a Jesus. I know there was a guy named Jesus. I know I heard about him dying on the cross and everything. I know I know there's a story about him. I know about him. I've known about him all my life. That won't save me. Let me, let me prove to you that knowing that Jesus is the Messiah won't save you. Matthew 8, 28 through 31. Let me, let me read it to you. And when he was come, this is Jesus, when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils. These are devil-possessed men. Mark and Luke only give the account of one man, but, but Matthew tells about the other guy that was there. So there was two men possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, these ferocious devil-possessed men, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, now what did these devil-possessed men cry out? They cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come to torment us before the time? 
and they asked that he would cast them out into a herd of swine, and then swine, swine ran off the cliff and drowned himself. So the devils went out into, into the ether. But, but you hear what they said? What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Devils know that he's the Messiah. They know he's the Savior, but they don't believe on him. They don't love him. They don't want him, but they know it. But they won't save you, just know it. You've got to believe. Listen, it, it, just because you believe who he is doesn't mean you're saved. <clears throat> look at, look at uh, you're in Acts 18, think about the chapter 15, and look at verses 7 through 11 real quick. This is the account of when Peter uh, came to the leaders in Jerusalem, the Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders in the church, and, and they talked about, about what to do with the Gentiles who were starting to come into the, to the family of God. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know that how a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the gospel, the word of the gospel and believe. First he witnessed to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch uh, on, on the road going to Gaza. And then Peter, uh, Peter preached to some Gentiles. He preached, preached to Cornelius' house. And uh, the Bible, he said, he said the Gent- that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So again, they believed when they heard the gospel. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, their faith. Again, that's important there, that purifying. What, what is purifying? And I don't want to get too technical. I'm afraid I'm going to get too technical on you, but I want to try to, I want to, try to show you that that. Purifying. This is something that Jesus did. When John the Baptist was preaching, and again, I don't want to confuse anybody, but when John the Baptist was preaching before Jesus was revealed to have come, he's preaching and he's he's baptizing. Well, what's he baptizing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they came. They came repenting of their sins, confessing their sins, and they were baptized. Now, you and I don't do that. When, when somebody comes on Sunday morning, I've never had anybody come up here and stand up here and tell all the things that they've done wrong and me baptize them. That's not the way that works. But that was a Jewish that was a Jewish custom. That was what they were to do in preparation for the coming Messiah. And so that was a form of purifying. But here Peter's saying, listen, there's no difference between us and them. They were purifying their hearts by faith, by their believing. That made them ready to the Lord. They they came to Christ by by purifying their hearts by purifying their hearts by faith, by believing on the finished work of what Christ had done. You see, when John baptized back then, Jesus hadn't even died yet. There was no picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was a Jewish thing that they were doing. So we don't look back to John the Baptist trying to figure out how to get saved, because that was to the Jews, and we're not Jews. Listen, we don't look back to them. When Peter was baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and he said, Be you baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. He was talking about them getting baptized. But, uh, I mean, he was talking about them, uh, them uh, getting the Holy Ghost because they got baptized. Listen, no. When we get saved, the moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in to a believer's life. The very moment that you trust Christ, the Spirit of God moves into you. He doesn't wait till you get baptized. See, again, that was to the Jews. We have to d- divide that. We can't be looking back through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John trying to figure out what to do about getting saved because there's no Gentiles in there. 
we need to look at where Paul taught us because he's our apostle. Paul, from, from Romans to Philemon, Paul gives us church doctrine. And so that's where we're to look for our church doctrine. And he wants you to understand that though there was a division and before Jesus died, before he came and did all that, yes, the Jews, they had a whole different belief system, but it's transitioning into grace. Once Jesus died on the cross and he made and he he, he laid before us the plan of salvation, he died to the very rose in the grave to pay our sin debt, to pay for our sins. God put our sins on Jesus and he punished Jesus in our place. And so that we, by believing on what he did for us, can have eternal life. It's his life for ours. He laid down his life, which he had nothing to pay for, but he paid for ours. And if we go looking back there, trying to figure out something according to Jewish customs, we're going to be as confused as a term out in the yo-yo. Now, Peter said, listen, he said, listen to this clearly. Verse 10 of what I was reading in Acts 15, he said, Now, therefore, why teach you God? And to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples. Because look here, if you try to tell these disciples that they've got to keep the law if they say it, you're, you're trying to put something on them, they shouldn't have to go because, listen, being good don't save you. Only reason they were to keep the law was to show them that they couldn't Nobody ever kept the law. Nobody ever did everything right but Jesus. That's it. Every every other person, they were under the, the way of law into it. Trusted in the Messiah who is to come. Now, we're beyond that. We're on the other side of Calvary. Okay? And Peter says, he says, listen. He said, we couldn't we couldn't bear that, and our fathers before us couldn't bear that. That's the law. He said, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, that's the Jews, shall be saved even as they, the Gentiles. So how are we saved in this New Testament era? We are saved by grace. That means we had nothing to do with it. We ain't be good to get it. We have to trust and believe in what Jesus did for us. Grace it stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the debt. We didn't. And we accept it by faith. It's the gift of God. You didn't pay for it. You can't pay for it. You just believe it and accept it. Now, but Paul still went to the Jew first. And when he went, but again, God God turned away from the nation of Israel. Acts chapter seven, when they stoned Stephen, they, after that, God God departed from the from the nation of Israel, quit trying to win them to Himself and get them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And He turned He turned the salvation to the to the Gentiles. But since that time, individual Jews can get saved. I've met some Jews who've gotten saved. I, I used to know a rabbi who got saved out in Los Angeles. He just picked up the New Testament and started to read it one day, and he said, you know, I found Jesus in there. It was amazing. <clears throat> but, again, right now, people, people, you can get saved, but the whole nation over there, I don't know if you know it or not, but they're trying to pass a law in Israel right now to make it illegal to mention the name of Jesus Christ. And if you mention the name of Jesus Christ, if this law gets passed, you'll get a year in jail. Now, you say, wow, well, that's the coming of the Antichrist system. That's the new church. That's coming. And all the churches have merged together, and they all believe everything but Jesus. But I'm not trying to go there this morning. I'm trying to keep going with this right here. But again, someday, listen, as far as the Jews go, someday soon, after the Lord comes back and takes his church out of this world, God's going to, during the tribulation period, the seven years that will take place after, after we're all gone, 
listen, there's going to be seven years where God's going to deal with his chosen people, and he's going to restore them. They're all going to get saved in one day. And then after he comes back, when we come back with him, uh, after that seven years, it's going to be a thousand years of peace, and Christ is going to reign on this earth, and the Jews will reign and rule with him on the earth, and we'll serve him in our glorified bodies, praise God. But listen, God has a plan for salvation. And he's had a plan for salvation from the foundation of the world. And the only way that men can be saved is if God himself shed his own blood and died for our sins. God himself shed his own blood and died for your sins. That's the only way you can be saved. It ain't for anything you can ever do. You have to believe on what he has done for you. Now, back to Acts chapter 18, verse 6. And when they opposed themselves, that's the Jews, and they blasphemed. They said, we don't want this Jesus. Get that mess out of here. He shook his raiment. He shook his clothes up. And he said unto them, will your blood be upon your own heads? I'm clean. From henceforth, I'll go to the Gentiles. If you don't want it, Jews, that's fine. I'll go to the ones who will listen to it. And, and by the way, that was in the city of Corinth. He did go to them later on. He visited the synagogue in Ephesus, but he wasn't going to fool with them in Corinth anymore. And I don't want it to seem like I'm beating a dead horse about all this, but this transition takes place from the law of Moses to the grace of God. And if you don't get it, if you don't understand, you're going to always be confused when you try to read the Bible in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels and Acts. And, 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 and it's just going to confuse you if you don't see the difference. Acts 18, verse 11. Let's look there. And he continued there a year and six months. So he was there a year and a half, and it appears he uh, and it says teaching the word of God among them. And uh, so that's how long he was there in Corinth. Now drop down to verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, after Paul and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, so he stayed even longer, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed them into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Remember them? Those were the two people from Rome that he had, that he had befriended and worked with. And uh, the Bible said, having shown his head in Chesarea, where he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus. So they came to this next city, and he left them there. Aquila and Priscilla, he left in Ephesus. And I, I'm assuming he left them there at that church that had been founded there in Ephesus. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So again, he goes back to the Jews. Verse, drop down to verse 24 to 28. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, you remember the beginning of this? It said, Paul, he came not with, not with enticing words, uh, excellency of speech and of wisdom, he wasn't, he wasn't coming trying to be a fancy speaker. He wasn't coming trying to blow them away with what he said. Uh, he, he, he was trying to give them the truth. He was, again, he wasn't trying to impress them with his words. But you see here, there's a fella, there's a fella that came uh, named Apollos, and he was eloquent. He, he was a good speaker. He, was, and he, knew the, he knew the scriptures. I mean, he knew the Old Testament. And he came to Ephesus. And the Bible said this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the Spirit. So he was on fire for God. And he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, what is that again? The baptism of John, that was for Jews. That was to manifest that Jesus, the Messiah, had come, that he had been born and he was here. Okay? Again, so this guy, Apollos, he didn't even know Jesus had died. He didn't know that, he didn't know that salvation was 
get baptized until Jesus is coming. And But yet he's in there. How many of you did it? Oh, it's John. He's letting her rip, man. He's, he's speaking. People listen to him. Boy, listen to him. Oh, man, he, he talks so good. You know, some people get caught up in what of the way people talk rather than what they're saying. I'm not the best speaker in the world. I, I, I run all over the place and use double negatives and stutter and everything else. I'm not the best speaker. I know that. I'm not Joel Osteen. Joel will get up and talk. Man, he just smiles so pretty. I mean, he talks and everything's rhythmic and everything just everything's always the same. It sounds like he's singing a song, but he doesn't sound nothing. Everybody sounds good, but he doesn't sound nothing. George Myers can talk about it, but she ain't said nothing. Amen. She ought to sit down. She's a woman. She ain't got no business behind the pulpit, but that's neither here nor there. Let's keep going. So, so he, he's up there trying to, he's up there telling them the wrong message, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He got up to the synagogue and couldn't win a quill in Priscilla and heard him. They took him to them, and they expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They said, hey, fella, you got a lot of zeal. You like you, you like your fire. I want you to notice that this man had a little bit of humility about him because he didn't get mad and say, hey, I dare you tell me what to say. No, he, he, actually, he actually had enough, enough character about him to listen to what they said. And when they, the Bible says they expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They said, hey, listen, not only did he, not only is he coming, he came and you missed him. You didn't see it. You didn't see it. But let me tell you what happened. He, 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 he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose from the grave. And he's back in heaven and he's, he, he listen, you'll save anybody that believes on him. And he, he said, wow. And he trusted him that thing and now got saved. Because the Bible tells us down in verse 28, he's mightily convincing the Jews, and that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So, listen, he believed it. And he got busy. Listen, we're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by the baptism of John. We're not saved by the baptism of Peter. And when we look and we believe on the finished work of Calvary, what Jesus did on Calvary, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing else. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That's what Paul was saying in chapter 1. Why? Because you got people speaking all kinds of different things. He said that there be no divisions among you, but that you should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's what a church ought to be. You say, how, could, how can we be? We're all different people. Yes, but we've got the same word of God. And it ain't about my opinion and your opinion. It's about what God said. It ain't about what we think about what God said. It's about what God said. <clears throat> Romans 2.16, uh, Paul said that God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Not according to the Old Testament, but according to my gospel. It all comes down to this. Have you believed upon the finished work of Jesus? Are you believing that Jesus paid for your sins? Are you trusting that he did that for you? Believing on him and what he did. So that you're able to go to heaven when you die. Because, listen, that's the only thing that satisfies a holy and a righteous God is his holy and righteous son paying our sin debt for us. Amen. That's right. And that's what we'll be judged by. Listen, it won't be about anything here. One thing matters to him. Are you covered in his son's blood? And that's it. Has his son's blood washed your sins away? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And it scares me to think that people 
pull church doctrine from anywhere else in the Bible but from, but from Romans to Philemon because they'll be, t- they'll be mixed up as they can be. Because you know what? We're not God's chosen people, and we're never going to be God's chosen people. We're not the Jews. That's Israel, and it'll always be Israel. And we make a terrible mistake when we take doctrine that applies to Israel and we try to apply it to the church. That's why you got so many denominations out there in this world, because people don't understand how to rightly read the word and divide it. <clears throat> and we're not trying to claim promises that, that, that are Israel's promise. We're not to think that America is the Holy Land because she's not. We're to look again from Roman to Philemon for our New Testament doctrine. Look at verse 2 in our scripture, in our text. You say, wow, you just got to verse 2. I'm going to run quick now. It's all, all down here. He said, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, that's all I wanted, that's all I wanted to talk about, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> you know, a bunch of modern preachers today wouldn't have anything to say if that was their That's all they want to talk about was Jesus and him crucified because they don't ever talk about Jesus. You know, they talk about everything else but the blood of Jesus. But Paul's talking about the blood atonement here. When he said Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to the cross, the cross of Calvary, that's the altar. That's the altar that He was laid on. And 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 by the way, it takes a high priest. Well, guess what? Jesus is our high priest. He was the high priest. He was there at the altar, and He was also the sacrifice. He's the priest and the Lamb. He's the Lamb of God and the high priest of God. Amen. And He laid Himself down and offered Himself. A sacrifice for our sins. Ain't that good? Hallelujah. Listen, the Bible he, the Bible said he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And listen, it's always been about the blood. It's always been about the blood. And it's all about the blood. Romans 3, 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That word means an appeasement, uh, uh, an easing, uh, an easing of things. Because, see, listen, we're enemies of God in our, in our natural state. We're sinners. Listen, and we're opposed to God. We're the enemies of God. There's hatred between us and God. Until that hatred is eroded by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that can shut that hatred down. That's the only thing that can make those things right between us and holy, a holy God, because we're unholy. He has to be holy for us. He has to come before us. He has to make our sins go away, and he's the only one who's able to do that. God set him forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That's it. To declare his righteousness for the remission, that's the forgiveness of sins. Do you want your sins forgiven? Well, they've got to be washed in the blood. That's the only way they can be made to go away. Through the forbearance of God. God knew that we needed and God provided it. It's all about what he's done. And again, it, it's all about what Christ has done. Second, Second Corinthians 10, 10. Let's read verse 3. He said, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul said, I was with, when he was there in Corinth, he was with him in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Second Corinthians 10, 10, he said, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Why was he so weak? Well, it's because everywhere he went, he made people mad by telling the truth. And they would take him, and they would they would they would whip him with a with a, a whip of punishment. He was getting beaten everywhere he went. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips. He was he was jumped and beaten up by people, knocked him on the way. This man went through a nightmare just going here and yonder trying to 
preach God's word. So he was weak when he got there. He was weak in body. Philippians 2.12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not always in my, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, he's not talking about you work your way to heaven. He's saying, since you're saved, you need to approach God with fear and trembling. One preacher put it this way. He said, it's a trembling anxiety not to fall short of the goal. Don't want to, I don't want to displease God. Resulting from a sense of our human insufficiency, knowing we're not able to do what we need to do. We're relying on God's power. He said it's from a consciousness that it all depends on the power of God. So Paul said, when I was there with you, I wanted so bad to please God. He wasn't saying I was afraid of you. He was saying I was afraid of not doing what God wanted me to do. That's how conscientious he was about serving God. I look around, I see people today could care less about serving God. I see people today could care less whether or not their lives please God. I look around and see Christians who are half in, half out, got the big toe in the water, and that's about it. And they're not serious about serving God. They don't read the Bible like they ought to. They don't have much of a prayer life. And the children are on their way to hell because of it. This world's dying and going to hell, and nobody cares, it seems. Breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and every other preacher's got any sense about him around this country, that people are just going to slide right off into hell with no concern. Like I said, it ain't about what how a man speaks. It's about what he says. Paul said in verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Like I said, people love Joel Osteen. They love him. He got the, one of the biggest churches in the world. They love him. But you know what? They also love Tony Robbins. Y'all know who he is? He's a uh, self-help guru. Some of y'all are Tony, Tony Robbins. He's getting older now, but boy, he used to have a big million-dollar smile. You know, boy, everybody just, he's, he was, he was a, you know, everybody said, wow, you know, he's something else. But he's, he's a motivational speaker. And see, they love Tony Robbins and Joe Osteen for the same reason, because he makes them, they make them feel good. They, have a, they, they make a tremendous living by convincing people to feel better about themselves. But you know, that's exactly the opposite of what God's Word does. God's Word convinces you you're nothing without Him. And God's Word ain't going to make you feel better about yourself. God, God's Word is going to show you that you need God. It's going to tell you exactly what's wrong with you. It's going to show you and expose to you your sin. And once you see your sin in your helpless condition, the Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and show you Calvary and show you that there is a sacrifice for your sin. You know, again, you don't have to be the best speaker in the world. Most of my favorite preachers, they barely had a high school diploma. That's that. And many of the greatest preachers of all time have been those who were the most crude of speech. I mean, they, they used all kinds of uh, double negatives and ain't and, 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 you know, didn't speak right. But it don't mean, it, just because you can't talk good don't mean you can't preach. Amen? They preach the paint off the wall. They might not have impressed everybody and everybody thought they were so eloquent, but they could preach. Verse 5, and we're winding this thing up. He said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. You know, if your faith stands in the wisdom of men, you ain't got no salvation. If you believe in what men have told you because of what men think, you ain't got salvation. But if you believe in what God has let me ask you this morning real quickly, and I'm closing. I'm done. What does your faith stand in? 
He said in verse 5 that your faith should stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does your faith stand in? I'm not just talking to those in the room. I'm talking to those who are listening and watching on Facebook. I'm talking to, I'm talking to everybody. What does your faith stand in? Does it stand in a prayer that you prayed somewhere a long time ago? He said, well, I prayed that prayer. I know I'm saved because I prayed that prayer. Listen, praying a prayer, that's not going to save you. I can say anything I want to. I can coerce. Look here, I can coerce anybody if I browbeat them long enough to say a prayer. But that prayer ain't going to save them. Faith has to have an object. A prayer is not an object. What is your faith in? It's not in praying because praying don't save you. It, it, the Bible says it's, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is something that's real. So what is the substance of your faith? What is it in? What is your faith in? Is it in your goodness? So I'm a good person. You don't know me. I'm a good person. I, I, I don't do nothing wrong. I'm a good person. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none good. No, not one. The Bible says he said, well, my name's on such and such church. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, my name's in that church. That's that church. That, that don't mean nothing. There's plenty of people joined the church, what I'm saying. Lots and lots and lots. I mean, millions maybe over the history of the, of the church that came in and said they were saved but weren't. He said, well, I, I got baptized. I got a baptism certificate on my wall again. Baptism won't do nothing but get you wet. It don't save you. Is that what, what, is, what is your faith in? Is it in Jesus Christ? Is it in the Son of God and what he did for you on a hill called Calvary? Is it in the fact that, that he didn't stay buried, that he rose from the grave triumphant after three days and three nights? Is that what your faith is in? That's what mine's in. Can you say, along with the son of God of William Bradbury, my hope is built on nothing less in Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Where is your hope? Do you have hope? If you don't, let me say something to you. Come to Jesus because that's the only place you're going to find salvation. Let's stand together. <clears throat> We're going to turn number 161. 161. Let me say to you now this morning before we have this invitation, if God spoke to your heart this morning, if you you say, preacher, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, but I'm, I, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved. Can I tell you
this morning, and I hope and pray that you'll study your Bible. I hope and pray you'll stay in your Bible, and I hope that if God's working on you, you'll keep listening and not turn away from what he's trying to say to you. I realize a lot of times in a church service, God speaks to somebody's heart, and maybe they're not ready to go to an altar right then, but don't dismiss the Spirit of God working in your life. Keep praying. Say, Lord, keep showing me what you're showing me. I want to see it, whatever it is. Lord, show me. Lead me to what you want me to do. And God will help you. God will lead you to those decisions you need to make in your life. Amen. Now, thank God we we, we got some food back here. We want to feed everybody. Amen. So it's potluck. we got plenty back there, and I know you'll enjoy yourself. So we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to ask God to bless the food. And after we do, I want you to head back here and just get yourself in line. Don't stand around and look at everybody else. Just go to them. Don't be bashful. Get in there and get you a plate, and let's enjoy some food and fellowship together. Amen? Amen. Well, that's one thing we know how to do. We know how to eat. Let's, let's pray and let's get to it. Scott, lead us in prayer. Bless the food. Amen. 